Well, thank you so much, ladies, for that wonderful, wonderful song. Take your Bible, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 will begin today in uh, verse 19. We'll go all the way through the end of the chapter. And I think that um, as we look at this passage, it becomes clear that one of the most dangerous positions for a Christian to be in is when he knows what he should be doing, but he's not doing it. Um, We are in danger as Christians of becoming people who are smart about God's Word, but immature in our application of God's Word. I know a lot of people who know a lot of things about God's Word and are still in a lot of trouble. There are a lot of pastors who find themselves in a lot of trouble. It's not because they don't know God's Word, it's because they're not applying God's Word. Information is not our problem. At at my fingertips, I could find out any information I want to know almost on Google. I could Google about anything, and if Google doesn't work, I could probably use ChatGPT, and it'd probably find the answer to about anything I need to know in this world. But the truth is, information is not our issue. The issue is a transformation that needs to happen by the Spirit of God in our lives. Uh, The greatest step I believe a Christian can take in his growth of faith is to make a commitment that when God shows him truth from the Bible, he will obey it. I think this is simple, simple truth that we must grasp and must hold on to today, that if, if God shows you truth from the Word of God, you must commit yourself to obeying it. And if you take that one simple, simple commitment, that one simple step, I believe your life will never be the same because you will find yourself an obedient Christian who will be blessed by God. Let's pray and we'll look into His Word. Lord, we thank You for this very direct and very clear and very practical section of Your Word that pulls the curtain back on our, all the, the things that we bring to the table, all the ways that we try to uh, position ourselves, the, the, the ways that we present ourselves to others, and makes us be honest before you, Lord. We see ourselves, we examine our hearts before your word now. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we would all make commitments that when you show us truth, we will believe it, and when you show us commands, we will obey you. And there will be nothing that your, your word and your spirit cannot touch in our lives. There's nothing hidden from you anyway. There's no secret area of our life that is off limits. Lord, I pray that your word would penetrate to the deepest parts of us and that we would turn ourselves over to you in submission, that we'd live in obedience to your word. We pray as we look at the scripture that you would have your way with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God cares about our practical living. That's become very obvious from James. James, the title I've given this series is Practical Christian Living. Very straightforward, very plain. The idea is God cares what we do with our lives. God wants, to care. God wants you to know that He cares too. In fact, it matters how we live, not just what we believe. Yes, it matters that you're doctrinally right, but it also matters that you are practically doing what God has called you to do. And so today, the title of the message is Steps to Spiritual Maturity, and I want you to think of this as the tilling of the ground, the preparation for the Word of God. Jesus describes the Word of God like a seed that gets scattered by a sower, and as the seed is scattered, it falls into different kinds of grounds. Some grounds are very fertile and very willing to receive it and, and produce great fruit. Other grounds are not. And so today, I ask you to, to break up the ground that is in your heart and be ready to receive the truth. And this passage is telling us how to do that, how to go about tilling the ground, how to do the preparatory work 
for the spiritual work that God does in our life through the power of the Spirit of God, through the power of the Word of God. And the first thing we see in these first few verses, if you look at me in verse 19, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The first step I'd like you to take is that you should listen, don't just act. He begins by telling us that you have to listen to His Word. God places a high priority on listening. I can't tell you how many teachers I had who used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it was normally directed to me, right? I was, I was one of those talkers when I was younger, and I, I still can be. And I have to be reminded that we have to be quick to hear. We need an attitude for change, an attitude for maturity. What is the attitude we should have for maturity? He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. So then, he's basing this on the previous passage. If we look at the immediate context in verse 18, God tells us we have been born again. That means we've been brought forth by the truthful Word of God and by this powerful Word of God that brings us into being a kind of first fruits for God. And this Word needs to find its way into our hearts so we grow towards maturity. God's Word needs to find its way in. And what attitude is required? He says, let every man, let every person be swift to hear. That means you need to listen attentively and you need to be quick to listen. You need to be ready to listen, eager to listen. This is not how we normally are. We are not normally eager to listen. We are not normally humble about listening. To be quick to listen means we need to be humble about what information we have and what information we need. We need to recognize that God has more information than we do, and we need to listen to Him. It means we need to be interested in what someone else is telling us more than what we can tell someone else. Most of us are very quick to speak and slow to hear. We like to talk, and we don't like to listen. We like to tell people what we think, and we don't like to hear what they think. But the implication here is much more than just practical advice for dealing with people. God is not just saying, hey, when you talk to people, you know, be quick to hear and slow to speak. He's not just doing the practical dealing with other people here. In the context, this has to do with the Word of God. So what are we to listen to? The Word of God. Be quick to hear God's Word. Be listening for God's Word. And listen, you cannot be hearing and speaking at the same time. You must be slow to speak if you're going to be swift to hear. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. What he says, slow to speak, he doesn't mean that means you speak slowly. Although I know some of you have put on your blue cards before, I need to be slower to speak. I know I try to slow down in my speech. I get that, and I apologize for my rapid speech. I just get excited. But that's not what he means. What he means is slow to begin speaking. That is, slow to talk. You need to be the kind of person who is quick to hear, slow to speak. Notice the second pairing here. He has slow to wrath. That is not letting your temper get out of control. Wrath is just the normal word for anger. And anger itself actually is not an evil emotion. We know this from the Bible. God is angry with the wicked every day. Anger itself is not the problem. He says we are not to be swift to anger. We are to be slow to anger because normally when we are angry quickly, it is not righteous anger, is it? It is man's anger. It is man's wrath. We get angry about the wrong things when someone offends us rather than someone offending God. We're quick to anger rather than quick to patience, slow to wrath, 
Notice, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger that comes from us does not produce God's righteousness. If we get angry, it's not God. God's work is not being done. It is not God's righteousness, the righteous activity that God approves of. We need to have an attitude here of listening instead of speaking. I think listening is a very wise thing to do. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about listening. One of my favorite verses from Proverbs is Proverbs eighteen thirteen. It says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. Listen before you speak. Listen before you speak. We need input from other people outside of ourselves. In fact, it's amazing to me that when God speaks to the nation of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, And when he calls to them, what does he say? He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. All these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. But before you talk, what must you do? He says, hear, listen, O Israel, God is one. The attitude for change is a humility that listens to truth. Secondly, there's a prerequisite for maturity. What is the prerequisite here? Before you can move forward, he says in verse 21, therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Because the wrath of God, wrath of man does not accomplish God's righteousness, we need to conform our behavior to God's ways. So here's the prerequisite for change. First, we see the repentant heart. He says, you need to lay aside the things that would prevent you from receiving God's truth. There are things in your life that will act as a filter to God's truth and prevent you from understanding and applying God's truth. If you are wicked in your behavior, if you have wickedness in your mind, you will not receive the truth of God. You will have problems understanding the word of God. You will have obstructions to believing God's truth. He says you should put off these things, filthiness, That's a state of moral corruption and moral uncleanness. It's a vulgarity. You are to put that stuff off. Who is he speaking to here? He is obviously speaking to believers. This book is written to those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior, the brethren. And it is very possible for brethren to have their minds consumed with filthiness. And God says, if you are going to be a believer who listens to truth, you must put aside filthiness. Filthiness will, will, over, will, will obstruct your understanding of God's truth. Here's the prerequisite. Lay aside. That's take off. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about taking off the old man. This is exactly that same stuff. Take off, lay aside the filthiness. And notice this next phrase, the overflow of wickedness, the abundance of wickedness. These are the things that believers need to put off. You don't normally associate believers with this kind of behavior, but the text demonstrates that these can be real struggles for believers. Believers can struggle with these matters. They can be full of filthiness. They can have overflow of wickedness in their heart. And God says, if you're going to change, you've got to get rid of that, and you've got to have a repentant heart. You've got to come to God and have a change of mind. 
You've got to say, I've got to get rid of these things. You need to have a receptive heart. He then says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Only then can you begin to receive the word of God as he would have us receive it. To receive it is to accept it, to welcome it, to allow it to have entrance into your life. And this is the word of God, the written word of God, not just the words of men, the word of God. And he says, you need to receive this with meekness. I I love this word, meekness, because this has this idea of, of not being overly impressed with your own self-worth. It means that you, you have a recognition that you are humble and courteous and, and, and you are considerate of God's Word. You look at God's Word and you say, yeah, that definitely applies to me. You don't defend yourself when God convicts you of sin. You receive with meekness. Notice this next phrase, the implanted Word. What a fascinating phrase, the implanted Word. It's the only time this Word is in the New Testament, but it is used elsewhere in Greek literature, and it has the idea of that which is deeply ingrained in your life so it flows naturally out of you. If you, if you take a, a, a stick and you are to, to scrape the stick and you are to get at the inside, you will see what's inside of that branch. You will see what's inside of that, that plant. If you are to cut past the outside, what is inside is what makes up that plant. It's what gives life to that plant. And this is the picture here. We are the implanted word, the part of us that is in us. The word of God should be so in us that when, when we have the life happening to us, what comes out of us comes out is God's word, is God's truth. It's not our own, our own selfish ambitions. We need to receive with meekness the implanted word. It becomes so deeply rooted in us. How do you know if God's word is deeply rooted in you? We'll scratch the surface and find out. What, what happens when your life turns upside down? Do you lean on God's truth or do you eject God's truth and cling to your own wisdom? Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. God calls for us to receive this work in our hearts with meekness. And this is, develops into the rescued heart, which is able to save your soul. It has the impact of rescuing or redeeming or saving. I think salvation here is more broadly than just the salvation from hell. This is the salvation, the rescue that comes from sin's power to derail a Christian's life. Sin can derail you as a Christian. We've seen it happen. Every one of us knows people. Sin has derailed their life. They're a Christian. They believe in Christ, but boy, sin has just destroyed them and derailed them. And he says the implanted word, put it in your heart, make it part of who you are. It is able to save your soul. It is able to to rescue you from the danger that is coming. God places a high priority on our responsibility to listen because listening takes humility We need to agree that God has input into our lives, that we don't have everything figured out because our wrath and our anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. But we can't just put ourselves in a box and just listen. There's a lot of people who enjoy listening. I'm talking their language right now. They're like, I'll sit all day and listen. I got podcasts. I got more podcasts than I know what to do with. I got more sermons on my phone than I know what to do with. I I am constantly inputting God's truth. You're speaking my language, Pastor. Keep talking. This is great. Well, I have news for you. The Bible also says you need to act. Don't just hear. Because a lot of us fill our minds with all kinds of stuff that's true, and that's good. How do you deeply implant God's Word that it becomes part of who you are and part of how you think it will take more than listening, more than hearing the truth? 
Because what you hear from God must begin to work itself out in how you live your life, in your actions. Because the Bible says you've got to be a doer, not just a hearer. You cannot just be a listener. You have to be active in God's Word. Notice he says there, act first to avoid self-deception. Look at verse 22. He says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There's a command to act. The first step is to be a hearer. You have to be a hearer, but without hearing, how do you know what to do? Yes, but why do some people sometimes not act on what they hear? They might agree in principle with what's being said. Oh, yes, I agree with you there. You know, principle, save all your money. Don't spend it all. Got it. Principle, cut back on desserts. Eat more vegetables. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Trust God with your circumstances and stop trying to micromanage everything. Oh, yes, I believe these truths. You technically agree in principle, but the problem is when it comes to the specifics. For example, yes, I know we need to save money, but it can't hurt to take the kids to McDonald's one more time for ice cream sundaes. They deserve it. Oh, I need that extra pair of jeans. It's just such a good deal. And then at the end of the month, you say, well, I was going to save money, but I guess I'm not. You might say to yourself, yes, I know I need to cut back on desserts. My doctor says it's for my own health, but one cookie would taste so good right now, wouldn't it? Maybe five cookies would taste even better. We agree in principle. We agree. But our actions aren't quite. Yes, I know God is in control, but I can't stop worrying about my circumstances. I can't stop thinking about it. In each situation I just outlined for you, the hearer acknowledges something is true, but not, does not allow that truth to work itself out in their life so they actually change. You cannot just be a hearer of the Word. You have to be what the Bible calls a doer. And here's what that looks like. A doer is someone who makes a habit of acting on what they hear. It, it doesn't happen just once. A doer. Notice he doesn't say one who does or one who did. It's a doer, someone who does all the time, who makes a habit of when they hear, they obey, and they do. They count the cost for what is involved, and they're willing to make the change. And we're not talking about food or money here. We're talking about the Word. Be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer only. So to be a doer of the Word means you are obedient to God's Word the Bible. It means we hear God's Word, we take in God's Word, and we choose to be obedient to God's Word. Reading the Bible is the first step. We've got to read the Bible. You've got to know God's Word, and you've got to understand what God wants of you, but that's just the first step. The first step is knowing, is hearing, and it's not enough just to hear. You need to obey. It's not enough to memorize the Bible. You need to do what the Scripture tells you to do. You've got to choose to obey God because this is God's word to you. God has spoken to you. His word carries his authority and his grace that you can obey God because he gives you his power to do so. What's the danger in hearing but not obeying? What's wrong with becoming more knowledgeable without committing yourself to a certain kind of behavior? Well, the Bible says if we do this, we'll be deceiving ourselves or we're someone who's ripe for self-deception, deceiving yourselves. You're hearing the truth, but you're not acting on the truth. To, per- to deceive someone is wrong. You should never deceive people. But it's understandable, right? I mean, you can understand why someone would deceive someone else. You may want to make yourself look better than you truly are. You may want to gain some personal advantage from deceiving someone. You may want to cover up sin. But, but think about it. Why would you lie to yourself? How foolish is that? Like you're sinning and you're, you're being sinned against. 
Like, it makes no sense at all. Like, why would you lie to yourself? And the reason for self-deception, I think, is very dangerous because it deceives you into thinking that you're walking with God, that you know a lot about God without actually knowing God. This is the dangerous part of self-deception, is that you think you're good. You think you are spiritually mature because you know all the books of the Bible, because you can quote Bible verses about anger, because you have been the person people come to when they have problems with their marriage. You know all the stuff. You can even lead someone to the Lord with a Bible. You've been faithful in Scripture memory programs, but you still lose your temper, and you still lose control of your mouth, and you're not serving other people. You're serving yourself, and you're walking around thinking you're such a spiritual giant when God says, you need to be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer, because you're deceiving yourself. You don't know God. To deceive yourself is to do yourself no favor at all. And then he gives an illustration, the folly of not acting, the, the illustration of self-deception here. And I love this picture. Look at verse 23. He said, if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Notice the man observes, he takes note of, he does the work of examining his face. The natural face in the mirror, in case you hadn't picked up on this, is the face God gave you when you wake up in the morning. It's that roll out of bed, look in the mirror kind of face that hopefully everyone was able to avoid before they came this morning. You, I should say it this way, hopefully everyone was able to adjust before they came this morning. You go and you look in the mirror and you hardly recognize yourself. Who is that person? The man who looks at his natural face, the natural face being the face that you just have, he is attentive to that natural face. It's not that he's not attentive to it. He is. He's aware of it. And notice that it's your responsibility to look into the mirror. When you woke up this morning, the mirror was not staring at you in the face. You had to get out of bed and you had to go into the bathroom and look into the mirror and see what was there. In a similar way, the Bible is like a mirror to us, and we have the responsibility to take the initiative of confronting ourselves with the truth. And we might not want to confront ourselves with the mirror. Like, let's face it, sometimes you wake up in the morning, you say, I really don't want to look in that mirror, because I don't like what I see in that mirror. And if I go look in that mirror one more time, I might, I might not really appreciate it. I might have a hard time with my attitude. But you go anyway, and you look in the mirror. And God's Word confronts us with the reality of the situation. You don't negotiate with a mirror. The mirror is what it is. It says what's there. You look at it, and you can't, uh, you can't negotiate. It is, it is revealing the truth about what's wrong with your face. And this man, after he observes himself in the mirror, look at verse 24. What does he do? He observes himself, and then he goes away. And once he, left, once he has left the mirror, his mind wishes away all the problems he had with himself. He immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Has he changed at all? Has the man actually changed? No. He has not changed anything. He's become exposed to the reality of himself, but rather than being changed, he's still that man. He has left the mirror, and because he's left the mirror out of sight, out of mind, and his immediately, he immediately has forgotten the kind of man that he was, how foolish can this man be? Why look in the mirror if you're not going to change? Why look in the mirror if a moment later you're going to forget 
what you have seen. He says you need to confront the reality, but it's not enough just to confront the reality and said, I looked in the mirror this morning, check. You must do something about that. Look at verse 25. You act to avoid self-deception, and we must act to receive God's blessing. He says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. What a contrast. He says, you don't have to be self-deceived. It's not the only option available. You need to take a step to look into the law of liberty. Now, we talked about this phrase earlier, the law of liberty. We don't normally think of laws as being liberty, right? Laws tell us what not to do. We have a couple of police officers here in our church, and they know all about the law. And the law requires us to not do certain things, right? The law says you may not go over this, this speed limit. You may not do this to your brother or sister. You may not uh, you know, set fire to this thing. You may not do all these terrible things, right? Laws tell us what we cannot do, but the Bible here is described as the law of liberty, because laws generally restrict freedom, but in the Bible, the word law often refers to a rule set for living, a code. It's the reason for what you do what you do. You make your decision based on your law. In fact, Romans 7 describes the word law this way. He says, I find a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God according to my inward man. Look at this. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. He uses the word law here to describe that which gives me a reason for what I'm doing. The Bible calls this the law of liberty because it liberates us to who we are supposed to be. It frees us from the bondage of sin and gives us liberty to change. What does the mirror reveal? The mirror reveals reality. You cannot avoid the reality. And what does God's Word reveal about your heart? It reveals the truth. It reveals the truth about who we are. You must look into this perfect law of liberty that liberates us. You must continue in it. It's not enough to confront what we've seen in the mirror. We must conform it to the ideal that God's Word has presented to us in the Bible. And this one will be blessed in what He does. So, how do you do this? I just thought of a couple practical things you can do. When you're exposed to God's Word, whether in your personal reading or church on Sunday, whatever the case, when you're exposed to God's Word, I encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, write down what God is teaching you. Write it down. I mean, I can't remember anything if I don't write it down. That's just the way it goes. If I'm in a meeting in my office, I, you all, those of you who've met with me know, if I'm in a meeting with you, nine times out of ten, I'm jotting notes down on a piece of paper. Why? Because we're going to have a conversation later, and I don't remember what we talked about, and so I have to go back at my notes and remind myself. If I don't write something down, I will forget it. There have been many times I've been driving in my car, and a thought occurs to me. I thought, oh, I need to write this down. And I'm like, Lord, please bring a red light soon so I can write this down. Because I'm not going to remember this by the time I get to church. Write down what God is teaching you. You write down your grocery list. You don't think God's Word is more important than that? Write down what God is teaching you so you don't forget what God is teaching you. Write down prayer requests. Write down answers to prayer requests. Write down how God is working in your life. Write it down and review. That's the second thing. Review what God is teaching you. Check up on yourself. Don't assume you will remember everything God is teaching you. We, take, we give ourselves way too much credit for what we think we can accomplish. If you read and listen to God's Word but never apply God's Word, you're deceiving yourself. You will not be blessed like God wants you to be blessed. You could come into this church and hear God's Word preached every Sunday for your whole life, and if you never apply God's Word, you will be completely spiritually bankrupt because you're not living out the truth 
that God puts before us. As we talk about doing what God has called us to do, we need to consider our religious priorities. What should we embrace and what should we reject? Let's pursue right priorities. As he finishes out this section, he tells us, number one, we need to reject useless, hypocritical religion. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religious is useless. He says, put yourself to the test if you think you're religious. If you think that you are, the idea is you're devout, you're holy, you are, you are a good religious person. This is not uh, often in our, in our context, religion takes a, takes a negative connotation. We, say, we even hear people say, I'm not religious, I have a relationship with God. Well, the Bible makes no such distinction between this kind of, that kind of religion. Religion here is a positive thing. If you think you're religious, if you think that you are devout, if you think you are, have a fear of God in your heart, okay, evaluate yourself. How is your speech? Think about that. In fact, Paul talks about religion this way. He says he lived according to the strictest sect of the Pharisees. He had a religious life, but the test for him was like the test for us. Do you bridle your tongue? Do you bridle your tongue to control your tongue, to hold it in check? If you don't, then you're deceiving your heart. Again, to say you're religious, to say you are devout, to say you're holy, and you don't control what you say means you've lied to yourself, means you're not religious. It means you're not devout. It means you're not walking with God. A a religious person, devout person, is one who can bridle his tongue. Now, we use the word bridle uh, to talk about horses. We're not talking about bridle veils. We're talking about bridles on horses. Okay. Does that give you the impression that this is easy or hard? It's hard, right, to bridle a horse. This is something that controls a big animal. To bridle uh, your tongue is not an easy thing. God calls for us as Christians to reject hypocritical religion that says, I'm devout, but my life does not reflect it. And instead, we are to practice good and pure religion. And so he, he, he lines up a, a comparison here in verse 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And so he identifies what we ought to pursue. First, the pure and undefiled religion. What is it? He says, it is clean, it is unadulterated, it is without impurities, and it's undefiled. It has not been tainted by sin. This is a compassion ministry that we should have with other people. Our religion should be practiced. It cannot be merely spoken of. We must have a compassion ministry with other people. He rejects uh, this, this false dichotomy of, of you can, he says you must act out, let me put it that way. He says you must act out the truth in your heart. How do we do this? What's the compassion ministry? Look here, he says. He says you must uh, uh, visit the orphans and widows in their trouble. The kinds of people who can't give you any benefit back. Orphans have no parents. They are needy, and they're in trouble, and so you to visit them and encourage them. The widows, especially in this time, were not wealthy people. They had no way of, of compensating you for your visit. There needs to be a compassion behind the heart of a church and behind, behind the heart of individuals. If you find yourself lacking compassion, you're not living in true religion, pursuing these right priorities. The second one is holiness commitments. I find that a lot of people will focus on one of these or the other. If people are uh, obsessed with being holy and have no compassion. Our people are obsessed with showing love to everyone and not holding a personal holiness of God 
with importance. Notice he says, keep oneself unspotted from the world. This second element is just as important as the first. The world is the world's system. It's the world's way of thinking. It's the carnal world around us, and the world can have a staining effect upon us and keep us from understanding, applying, and accepting God's Word into our lives. You must be one who not only loves the widows and loves the orphans, but must keep yourself unstained, unspotted from the world system. As we conclude, I have a couple of questions for you. I really have three. Number one, why is it so often we do not listen to God? I want you to think about this and apply it to your life personally. I want you to really think, why do I sometimes not listen to God? Do I think He doesn't have my best interest in mind? Why is it when I approach God, I approach Him with a closed heart instead of an open heart? Why is it I don't want to listen to God? What what God wants for me is good, so I ought to embrace His good work. Why do I not listen to God? I ought to listen to God. Why don't I obey God when I say I believe Him? If God's Word is true, and it is, then why don't I obey Him? It's rather simple. Why, why do I excuse my disobedience? It's not enough just to listen. We need to act. Thirdly, why do we chase things that make us feel good about ourselves rather than what God asks us to do? When it comes to living out true religion, we need to pursue compassion ministry and holiness commitments. Why don't we listen to God? Friend, today I ask you, are you taking steps towards spiritual maturity? If you stalled out in your spiritual life, if you have not been taking steps forward, could it be perhaps that you have not been tilling the ground properly, preparing your soil for the Word of God? And when God's Word is spoken, you have not been responding rightly. Just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes, and I'm going to ask you to make some commitments to the Lord that you will respond when He speaks. Today has been a preparatory message. It has been a message for our hearts to prepare ourselves to be the kinds of people who don't only listen but act, who don't only act but listen, and who have the right priorities when God speaks into our lives. We obey Him and do exactly what He says. God will give us mercy, and God will give us grace so we can grow grow and mature to the Christians we're supposed to be. Let's bow with prayer and commit these things to God now. Father, we ask as we come before You, we know Your mercy is great, and Your mercy is there for us even now. And I think, Lord, our heart is burdened sometimes because we don't know what we're supposed to do. We, we, we look at our lives and we see uh, trouble, we see difficulty. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us from your word exactly what we should do with the understanding, Lord, that we need to make a commitment now that when you reveal truth, we will believe it. When you reveal commands, we will obey them. And Lord, I pray that we would become so um, connected to your word, so embracing your word that it becomes implanted in our hearts, and we meekly listen to it and obey it so that it becomes who we are. That as, as we are confronted with this world and with the challenges of this life, we can live out the word of God daily. Lord, keep us from being self-deceived. Keep us from pretending that we are better than we are. Help us to recognize our, our, with humility, our desperate need for you right now and for your word in our life to speak truth into our lives. Pray your blessings on us as we deal with you now, Lord. I pray that every heart as we're bowing our heads and closing our eyes that we would commit to you even now, Lord, help us to commit and say, yes, Lord, I will obey you when you tell me truth. 
I will commit my life to doing whatever it is, no matter the cost, no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard it seems or impossible it seems, I will do what you call me to do. As a life of a disciple, as a life of obedience, and a life of, uh, of following you regardless, no matter what the obstacles may come. Lord, help us as we look into the mirror of your law that reveals the truth. Help us not to negotiate with that mirror or try to talk ourselves out of what you've shown us, but to be confronted with reality and to accept it and believe it. Now, Lord, as we gather, I pray that we'd make these commitments to you now.